0: Good morning again and, and welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer and I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Again, if uh, this is one of your first Sundays, if you're just visiting us, we're, we're glad that you're here and I uh, want to welcome you. And uh, Merry Christmas. It's uh, just a few weeks away and we're starting to sing Christmas carols here and have decorations up. No Christmas weather yet. Some of you might love that. Some might hate that. Uh, but yeah, Merry Christmas. At, at my home, my wife and I uh, really enjoy Christmas. She probably enjoys it a lot more than uh, than myself. Um, she loves the you know the the presents and the family and the holiday get-togethers and one of the big things is is the music. She loves Christmas music, as do I. But she loves it a, a bit more than me. I think she would listen to it September on, uh, if I'd be okay with that. But I really like Christmas music too. But I you know I kind of have this rule, and she just kind of goes along with it that we don't listen to Christmas music till after. Thanksgiving, and so just make it a little more special, so uh, it's past Thanksgiving, so we've been listening to it 24-7, uh, and so I was wondering, you know, what what is my, if I could pick one album, what would be my favorite Christmas album, and so I was thinking about that and wondering maybe what your favorite Christmas album is, maybe it's Bing Crosby or Michael Buble, uh, Mariah Carey, Chris told me after first service, his is uh, Taylor Swift, just kidding, but actually that is a good, it's it's actually pretty good, it's actually pretty good. But anyway, I, I might get some slack for this, but uh, one of my top three favorite al- Christmas albums, couldn't couldn't decide a favorite, one of my top three is uh, the 1983 Amy Grant hit, A Christmas Album. It is uh, really great, we bust that out on vinyl every year, it's got many, many spins already, just a few weeks th- since uh, Thanksgiving, and uh it's pretty great, actually. I remember growing up listening to this album a ton. Uh, it was one that my parents had. And there was one song that I really liked in particular, and it was called Emmanuel. And I, it's a great song. I really liked it. But I always wondered, what, what does this word mean, Emmanuel? I didn't know where it was in the Bible. And I was wondering, how is this connected to Christmas? Or why is this word so important that Amy Grant is singing a whole song about it? Or even more importantly, why, why is it in the Bible? Why at Jesus' birth? is it declared that his name is going to be Emmanuel. So it sounds like a pretty important thing. So this morning we're going to unpack what does that mean, this name given to Jesus at his birth. It was prophesied hundreds of years prior that the Messiah would be born of a virgin and would be given this name Emmanuel. And then we're going to see it in our passage today. We're going to look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25. So the very beginning of the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to see the, the birth of Jesus. But what? We're going to unpack, why is this name so important? So this word Emmanuel, this name that's proclaimed over Jesus as uh, his, his birth is being announced, is this great news that God is now returning to his people. This word Emmanuel, we're going to see, it actually means God with us. So We're going to see how, how Jesus is going to now be with humanity, starting at the manger, in a new way that the world hadn't seen in Thousands of years. No longer was our sin, our fallen nature, going to keep us away from the God that we were created to be in a relationship with. No longer was God going to be distant and separated and far off. No longer were we going to be aliens or enemies for people who were uh, banished from God's sight. But now because of Emmanuel, now because of Jesus' birth, because of God with us, and we're going to see his, his uh, death and resurrection as well, now God can be with us. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 1, uh, verses 20, or 18 through 25. It's up there on the screen. It's in your worship uh, folder as well, that insert. And you can follow along as, as I read about the birth of Jesus. Starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage, giving us a glance into what was going on uh, at your birth, you give us this this word, this this name that's proclaimed over you, that's describing what you and your mission is going to be about, God with us. Father, we pray that your spirit would move this morning, that you would speak to our hearts that those of us who really feel distant from you, who feel separated from you, would truly believe this word spoken over your son that now through him, through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, God, we can now be back in relationship with you. We can be close to you. Thank you for this word. pray this in your name. Amen. So we have to start off by asking, why is this word important? Why is this name given to Jesus important, Emmanuel? We saw in our passage today, Emmanuel, that word actually means God with us. So when Jesus was born something brand new was happening. For millennia, that wasn't the case. For millennia, thousands and thousands of years, mankind wasn't with God. We were banished from God. We were exiles. We are far from him. Because of our sin, our fallen nature, we actually couldn't approach God. We were far from him in, in, in many different ways. So separation from God was one of our, our greatest enemies. Throughout the whole beginning of the Bible, especially until where we come here in In the New Testament, separation is one of our our greatest enemies. We're trying to get back to our God, trying to get back in relationship with him, and we fail again and again and again. And we need our God to to do that for us. We need our God to fight our enemies for us, to win this reunion with our creator. So hundreds of years before Jesus was born, uh, verse 23 there, there was this prophecy that the Messiah was going to be born of a virgin. There's obviously in this passage a lot we could talk about, and we're not going to hit it all, but we're just going to spend a little time just talking about uh, Jesus having to be born by a virgin. Because it's important, it shows us that Jesus wasn't just uh, a human. He wasn't just biologically human with a human father and a human mother, but he was both fully God, fully divine. The Holy Spirit is the one who is uh, conceiving and he's also fully, fully man at the same time. So in this miracle, in this paradox, we see that God came to live among us. God came to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us, began here at Jesus' birth. So the reason that this name, this title, is so important was because Jesus is the answer to our, to our problem, the answer to the, the enemy we have of being distant, of being far from God, of not being reconciled to him, of being his enemy. So when this prophecy was, was given, or when Joseph heard this, or others read about this, when they heard that Jesus' name was going to be, one of his names was going to be Emmanuel, was going to be God with us, it would have shocked them. They would have, they would have said something like, wait, God doesn't live with us. He's far off. He's distant because we're broken, we're sinful. He can't come near us because of that. There's many barriers between us and him. We've been banished from God because of our rebellion against him, and we have no hope of ever returning to that under our own strength. But when Jesus was born, all of this changed. You might be thinking, well, this this seems kind of wrong, or this seems bad, and, and that's right. Separation from God is one of our greatest enemies, and it wasn't the original plan. God's original plan was we see at the beginning of Genesis, we see in the Garden of Eden, we see God create all of, the, all of the universe, and then day six, he creates mankind. And each of those days, he creates, he says, it's good, the water, the air, the animals, the trees. And when he gets to mankind, he creates them, and he says, it's very good. So humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. He, he calls humanity his image bearers. They get to reflect him. They get to mirror God in his, his nature, in his relationship with the rest of creation. so At the very beginning, we're with God. Humanity was born or created into a paradise, into perfect relationship with God and in, into a paradise as well. God spoke to them. He called them his children. He walked with them. He provided for them. He protected them. And that's the way life was supposed to be perfect relationship with God in paradise, in in the land, the, the world he created for us. Yet, it didn't stay that way for very long. We told God that we wanted more than him, that relationship with him in his perfect paradise, under his loving control and protection, was not good enough. We wanted more. We wanted something better. We listened to the serpent who lied to us, who told us that there was something better. And through that, we rebelled against God. We listened to the serpent's lie that wasn't trustworthy, that said that God wasn't enough, that there was something better. And that lie resulted, that treason resulted in humanity's exile from God's presence. Theologically, we call this event the fall. It's where sin and death entered the world. We were exiled and sent out of the garden, not only paradise, but more importantly, we were sent out of God's presence. We're no longer in perfect relationship with him. Sin and death both physical and spiritual entered the world here and ever since humanity has longed and looked, looked for and hoped for a return to that relationship with God. A return to a garden like Eden existence with our creator. We've longed deep in our souls to be reconciled and reunited with the only one that we're ultimately created to be in a relationship with. That it doesn't end there. Even just moments after our cosmic treason against our Creator and King, we see hope. We see grace. Just moments after we betrayed God, hope is promised. God says that through through Eve's uh, line, there would be one that would come that would crush, crush this, this serpent, the serpent that brought the lion and all the effects that came with it that God would send one that would return us to perfect relationship with him, that would bring us back to the way it was supposed to be. So this is the very beginning of the story, Genesis 3, all the way from, from then on, for hundreds and hundreds of years, humanity is distant from God because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our evil, uh, sinful hearts. And throughout that time, if you read the Bible, we're just going to hit a couple high points, but we see whispers, we see glimpses of God coming back, fighting our enemies, and and bringing us back into relationship with himself. They're just whispers, they're just shadows, they're just glimpses. It's not fully realized, but we start to see God bringing us back to uh, things that resemble Eden, where God's protecting us, taking care of us, close to us, and in some type of relationship with him. A few of those we're just going to quick look at. first one is Mount Sinai. So God uh, takes the people, the people of Israel. They're slaves in Egypt. He brings them out of Egypt. He saves them from oppression and slavery, destroys their enemies, and then brings them into the wilderness. They go to this mountain here, Mount Sinai. If you can kind of see at the bottom, there's a bunch of tents. So the, the God's people, they camp around this mountain, and they actually see God's presence descend on this mountain. There's fire and thunder and a cloud, and they know that's, that's where God is at. That's where God's presence is, is, is literally at. But they can't touch the mountain. They can't come near. So they're close. They know God's with them. He just rescued them. They can kind of know him, but there's still these great barriers. And even Moses, the one person that on, on Israel's behalf, gets to go uh, speak with God on the mountain, Moses can't even see God's face. So he's on this mountain, and he even tells God, let me see your face. Let me see your glory. And God goes, no, if you, see, if you see my face, you'll just disintegrate because of your, of your deep sin. And he says, so this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll walk past you, and you can see, uh, you can't see my face, but you can see me from behind. And, and that's the only way that, that Moses can see them. So on Mount Sinai, God's people could see and hear God, but they were still distant. There were barriers. Again, the tabernacle, just a little bit after this, there was a, a tent created where, where God's presence would live and manifest itself so that Israel, God's people, knew that God was with them. Yet at the same time, we see all these barriers. We see walls. We see sacrifices having to happen before people can come near God. Innocent animals, blood needs to be spilt. So even though God is near, he's still pretty far away. There's still barriers. There's still separation. Sacrifices must be made. And then a little bit later on, so the tabernacle is a precursor to the temple temple was built when uh, the nation of Israel was an actual nation. And if you look at the temple, you see all, all these different gates, all these different, uh, you can kind of see it like a bullseye with that big building in the middle being where God's presence was, presence was. On the inside, the holy of holies, But you see all these different barriers, these different walls, these different courts that keep people away. So there's many, many barriers, depending who you were, keeping you away from God so people would walk by and see the temple and say, yeah, Yahweh's our God. He lives with us. He lives among us. But they know that they're still, at the same time, very far from him. We're going to talk about what's inside that, that uh, main part, the Holy of Holies. There was a curtain in there as well. We're going to get to that um, just a little bit. So every time God's people, they'd be walking past the temple, they would be remembering and thinking as they're trying to worship that we're kind of close to God, but were, very, we're still very far. There's so many barriers between us and him, whether it's animals that need, need to be killed and sacrificed, whether it was laws that you have to keep or ceremonies to make yourself clean, or whether it's just physical walls and courts and, and curtains that were keeping you away from God. So even God's people, not to mention all of humanity, for, for thousands and thousands of years knew that they were distant from God, knew that it was a problem. They were separated from him. and were trying unsuccessfully and miserably to get back to the way it was at the beginning. And even after some of these glimpses and these shadows, these whispers of what God was going to do, God sent uh, promises through some of his prophets. One of those is in uh, Jeremiah. This this prophet uh, giving a prophecy from God, reminding his people that he's going to do something new. That he's going to return his people back to relationship with him. He's going to defeat their enemies. We're going to read what he's going to do and how he's going to do that here. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I have made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So God's promising, in the future I'm going to do this. Wait for this. This is coming. I'm going to come into the world and and do something totally new. I'm going to, instead of just giving them laws, I'm actually going to write my law on their heart. So no longer are you going to have to tell each other you need to follow follow God's rules, follow His laws in order to know Him. But now we're just going to be able to know Him and be known by Him fully. Also, the very end there, it talks about for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So prior to this, or even up until Christ, there's this whole system of how people could, could get closer to God. The priestly system, and you have to, depending on who you were in society, depending on what privileges or rights you had or, or wealth or how close you were to the temple, there was, there was not much equality with who could get close to God and how close you could get to God. But now he's going to do something new. It doesn't matter if you're the, the, the greatest, the high priest, the one person that actually does get to go into the Holy of Holies once a year and experience God's presence, or if you're just a, a slave or a servant or someone who has, has no rights. God's going to do something new. And this is very important. This is how he's going to do it. So if one of our big problems is separation from God because of our sin, because we can't be in relationship with him anymore, This is how God's going to solve that separation. The last verse there, for I will forgive their iniquities. That's how he's going to do it. He's going to forgive our sin. He's going to remember it no more. Notice who's doing something here too. It's not humanity. We've tried it for hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years and it hasn't worked. But God is the one who's going to solve this problem. He's the one that's going to know us. He's the one that's going to forgive our sins. And it begins... When Jesus comes. So the incarnation happens. Jesus leaves heaven and he puts on mankind, as it says in uh, humanity, as it says in uh, Philippians. And Jesus becomes a man. He is born and Emmanuel happens. God is now with us. Sometimes we stop there. and, And that's fine sometimes. But we need to be careful not to just stop there. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just Jesus became a man and lived among us. That's part of it but it doesn't end right there. In fact, if Jesus comes and lives among us, if God is living among us, and this sin problem isn't dealt with, we're in big, big trouble. You look at a number of instances in the Old Testament where, uh, through dreams or visions, people actually are in the presence of God, and they fall on their face, and they say, woe is me. They're, they're terrified because they're, sin, they're sinful beings in the presence of a holy God. And so if, if the manger is the only thing that happened, if Jesus just comes and is with us for his 30-plus years of, of living, living among mankind, that's actually not good news. It's not actually defeating our ultimate problem of sin, which is keeping us separated from God. But Jesus didn't just come for his 30-plus years of ministry. But rather, he came to deal once and for all with our great enemy that deep-seated sin within us that's exiled us from God's presence and that continually keeps us away from him. Remember what the angel said to Joseph. Verse 21, the angel said, he's going to come to save his people from their sins. Notice both those names Jesus has given. He's given Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the the same name as, as Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua, this character that rescued God's people. It was a a savior figure in the Old Testament. So Jesus is given that name. He's the new Joshua that will save God's people. And he's also given Emmanuel, God with us. Both of those at the same time. Both of those are important. In Isaiah 59, another prophet talking about sin still being a big problem. It's great that, yeah, that Jesus was born among us. But there needs to be even more than that. Yes, God is among us. Emmanuel is happening right now, yet there's still sin. Isaiah, one of the prophets, speaks about why this is such a big problem. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sin, your rebellion, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So sin is the big problem that's keeping us away from from God that's that's creating this separation. If all we had was the manger and no cross, then sin would still reign. Then separation would still be our reality. Romans 6:23 says, "For the wages of sin is death." What we earn because of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin continues, it keeps us away from God both physically and spiritually. So the incarnation, Jesus being born in a manger, it's important, but it's just the beginning. It doesn't just stop there. As the famous theologian uh, Chris Walker once said, Hope is kindled at the manger. It is fanned into a flame during his ministry, but blown into a firestorm at the cross. Remember again, when when the angel announces Jesus' birth in verse 21, it's speaking of Mary, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the importance of Jesus' birth is not just that he's going to be born and be among us physically as a human for for 30 or 40 years, but that he will save his people from their sins. If you look at another one of the gospel accounts, Luke's account of Jesus' birth, The angels are announcing it, and what do they say? They say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. They Don't say a a teacher is born today, a miracle worker, someone who is going to raise people from the dead, a great rabbi. He did all those things, and they're very important, and it's great that he did them. But what do they say in Luke and Matthew, when they're announcing the Messiah is going to be born? What do they call him? They call him a savior. They say he's coming so that he can save people from their sins. Scotty Smith says, For every one look at the manger, take ten looks at the cross. The manger is incredibly important. Don't downplay it all. But especially around this Christmas season, let's not just focus on the manger and think it's th- this is the greatest thing ever, is that Jesus came to be among us while neglecting w- what he came for. For every one look at the manger, take ten looks at the cross. And it is on that cross, that is where Jesus defeats our enemies. That's where he earns our right to be reconciled to God. That's where he buys our forgiveness. That's where he defeats our enemies of Satan, sin, and death and saves his people from their sins. 1 John 3 speaks of why Jesus came. Just lays it out here for us. You know that he, speaking of Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. that's why Jesus came to take away sins and in him there is no sin. So yes, Jesus is his, his life, his ministry super important right because he lived without sin and he had to be a perfect uh, without sin person in order to die in our place to do what we could never do. but remember the reason he appeared was to take away our sins. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, the works of the devil. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He crushed the serpent like it was promised back in Genesis 3. And all the the works that came from our rebellion. Earlier on we were talking about the the tabernacle and the temple. Two uh, really important things before Christ came. So in order for people to come near God, in order for people to worship God and to fix their relationship with him in, in some way, They had to make sacrifices. They had to do ceremonial stuff to make themselves clean, and they also had to make sacrifices. They had to kill innocent animals. They had to shed innocent blood in order for their sins to be covered over, to be forgiven for a time, in order for them to approach God. And what happens on the cross? An innocent person dies so that we can have our sins forgiven, so that we can approach God. Early on in Jesus' ministry, right when he starts off, another prophet looks at Jesus and says, look, behold, the Lamb of God. He looks at Jesus and says, he's, he's just like a lamb. He's just like one of those sacrifices we have to make in order to get back to God, in order to have our sins forgiven. He says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just Spencer's sin, not just your sin for one day or for a few weeks or something until you make another sacrifice and and come near God, but he takes away the sin of the whole world, once and for all. So the, the result of Jesus' death on the cross, in our behalf, is that we receive the spoils of war. He fights a war in our behalf, he defeats our enemies, and we, as his church, those who trust in him, get to receive the spoils of the war he just won. Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ Jesus, so speaking to, to us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who are Christians today, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off, but now through the blood of Christ, through his death on the cross, we're now brought near Jesus. We're, brought, we're now reconciled to God. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Go back to the temple that we were talking about a little bit earlier. So the temple, a bunch of different gates and courts that kept people away from the center, the the actual room inside that main building called the Holy of Holies, where God's presence literally lived and manifested itself. It was closed off. Only one person one time a year could actually go in there, the the high priest, to go in there to make sacrifices for for all of God's people. And so there's this big curtain uh, blocking blocking it or as the doorway to get into the, the Holy of Holies. If you remember what happened at Jesus' death, right after Jesus died, it's in a bunch of the Gospels, that same curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. So this curtain, kind of tough to see there, but this enormous curtain that signified you cannot come near God. You can get really close, but you cannot come near God. You can do everything. You can make sacrifices. You can go through uh, ceremonial laws. You can even be the high priest, the most important spiritual person in the whole nation. You can get close to God, but you can't come near God. But this same symbol that represented we are separated, we're far from God, we're sinful, he's holy, that symbol was torn into when Jesus died on the cross. Not at the manger, but at the cross. Now, through Jesus' death, reconciliation with God is both possible And it's now offered. We can be brought back to God. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's what Christ did on the cross. He brought us back to God. He gave us the opportunity and the invitation to be brought back to God. Ephesians 2. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, believe that today. You are no, if, you, if you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're no longer a stranger to God. You're no longer an alien. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. It's kind of cool. So we're looking at Matthew 1 the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' birth, starts off by saying, God became man and he was born among us. He was given the name God with us. And at the very end of Matthew, before Jesus leaves his disciples to go back to heaven, to to reign on on his throne, he tells his disciples, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this book is bookmarked. The Gospel of Matthew has, on both ends, this idea that God is now with us. Through Christ, we can now be with God. We can be known by Him. Some of you might be saying, well, well, Jesus is not here. He's not here right now. God's not sitting down next to you in the pews here. Or, well, Jesus just left. He went to be with the Father. He's in heaven. So how can he say, I will be with you always? Big question, great question to ask. Part of it, part of it is Jesus says, It's good that I leave, so that I'll send my spirit, and my spirit will live within you, and he will be. Uh, he will empower you. He will live inside you. God will be with you through that. And then finally, we see in eternity, when Christ comes at his second coming, that God will actually literally dwell among his people again. So it starts at the manger. It grows, and, and it's very fully realized and bought and purchased at the cross, and then it's fully revealed. It becomes in, uh, turns into our full reality at Christ's second coming. So in the new heaven and the new earth, when Jesus returns, we will have a return to the garden. When Christ comes back, we will return to how it was before, a Garden of Eden type of place or, or a state of living or we're back in paradise. We're living with our God again. Listen to how this is described. At the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, this is how it ends. This, this promise that this is going to happen. This, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, how this actually plays out and looks when Christ returns. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So this is uh, one of Jesus' disciples, John. He's he's getting a vision about what's going to happen at the very end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations so it started at Jesus' birth is ushered in and purchased through his death and resurrection and is fully realized in his second coming God will live with his people he will dwell with his people he will be known by his people there will be no more barriers no more separation no more temple that we have to go through no more sacrificial system or or ceremonial cleansing system anymore, but it'll be a return to Eden, a return to paradise, a return to the way that he wanted it to be in the beginning before we screwed it up. As we leave here today, and as we continue in the the Christmas season, let's remember these two things. First one is, is, see Jesus as Emmanuel. So as you're celebrating Christmas, as you're reading the birth accounts, as you're singing Christmas carols, spending time with family, giving gifts, see Jesus as Emmanuel, as God with us. God who left his home. Read Philippians 2 as this great description of of what Jesus did in the incarnation. He, He left his home, he condescended himself, he put on humanity, he went from reigning as king of the universe to becoming a lowly human. Not just a human, but a servant to all. So see Jesus as Emmanuel, as God with us, and don't just stop at the manger. Manger's beautiful. Spend time there. Meditate on it. But remember, he had more than just those first few weeks in a manger, and as a baby. Remember, he came, also not just God with us, but his other title, his other mission, or his main mission, was was to come as Savior. So also, secondly, see Jesus as Savior, not just as a a cute baby in a manger, not just as something that makes us feel good, not just as someone who taught some really good things, or not just as someone who can uh, empathize and understand us because he came to be with us. All those things are great and true, but don't just see him as that. See him also as a savior. See him as a warrior who who fought our great enemies that for millennia humanity could never defeat. See him as the one who, who returns us, who brings us back to God, after millennia of humanity trying to get back to God, unsuccessfully, failing miserably. And know today that if you feel really distant from God, whether it's just the emotions aren't there, whether it's busyness in life, whether it's apathy, whether it's you've been a Christian for a long time and you hear the Christmas story all the time or the gospel message and it's just kind of falling on, on numb ears, or whether you don't feel near to God because you know your heart or you know your past You know the the sin that's in your mind. You know the evil that's in your heart. You feel dirty. You know the horrible things that you've done or that have been done to yourself, and you just can't believe that God could be close to you. Today, Jesus tells you again and again and again through his word all over the scriptures, New and Old Testament, over thousands of years, he tells you that through his work on the cross, through that, that he's Savior and he can bring you near to him, that you can be with God right now through his spirit living in you, through gathering with his body through the church as well as for all eternity in a very realized, full way at his second coming. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves. You do not leave us far, far away from you as as exiles, as aliens, as strangers, as your enemies but rather you come near us, you condescend yourself, you, you go from your throne on heaven into a dirty farm to be born among humans, condescending yourself and to become a servant who will serve us, live for us, live the perfect life we couldn't have lived, die on our behalf so that God with us, Emmanuel, can really be possible. And not just in a, a far-off, distant way like it was in the Old Testament where there was sacrifices that needed to be made or, or walls or barriers, but now through trust in your Son, we can now have God with us. We can now be reconciled and reunited with the one whom our, our soul longs for, the one God that we were created to desire and to want to be with and to have our, our fullest joy and fulfillment uh, when we are with him. Help us to believe that. Help us to live that out in our life. Pray this in Your saving name. Amen. Amen.